like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, thanks for coming to thanks for coming. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and I've been sitting here chatting casually with Richard Cohen for about 20 minutes, so I guess I wasn't quite in recording mode yet. But Richard's here today for another episode. Hi, Heather. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Um, I don't even know now. <laughs> so Richard and I have been talking for a while about recording some episodes about um, teaching the adults who work with young children um, because he currently is teaching and has from, I'll let you talk about your, your experience, but um, sure. at a community college and I just started, I uh, just did an eight week course at our local community college, which has been a goal for me. People laugh when I say that's my dream job, but it really was the whole reason I went back for my master's and really has been the goal. Um, So it was so exciting for me. And um, I also have to poke fun at it because I know that sounds like a weird goal to teach at community college, but not um, to me at all. Oh, good. Yeah. There's probably some, some bias that I need to unpack in that feeling. Yeah. Let it go. As Elsa says, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we've been talking about this for a while. So, so Richard, I guess, talk about your reasoning for wanting to, to do these kinds of recordings. Uh, sure. Well, um, yeah, so I've done a whole bunch of different things across the last 34 years in early childhood and uh, didn't know that my dream was to teach community college mm-hmm. uh, until I got there and just totally fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gone back to my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri to take care of my mom who uh, had terminal cancer and um, this community college job popped up and I uh I grabbed it. It was a wonderful opportunity at St. Louis Community College, basically in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm. And so I was there before, during, and after the riots. That's intense. Um, It was very intense. I I had been in the Los Angeles riots decades before that. So I have two riots under my belt, which is a weird thing. Um, (laughs) But I've never been in a riot. um, Not a bragging point for a while. I know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
in particular. I was just there both times, really, to bear yeah. witness to um, worlds that I didn't hadn't even known existed. Yeah. That no, I was I'm privileged just saying I can't even about. imagine, you know, what the intensity that that brings to a community. I just can't. It was wild. It, yeah. it was definitely wild and painful. Um, but that piece aside, um, <laughs> um, in Ferguson, I was mainly with um, women, mainly, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, working early childhood professionals who, for whatever reasons and whatever laws in the state of Missouri, they had to go get their associate's degrees. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, these were, so that was, so 99% African-American mm -hmm. Ferguson residents. That was my community, my learning community then. Now I'm in uh, the Hartford, Connecticut area. Um, which also is high poverty, um, uh, at least the part of it that I, the that come to the community college. Mm -hmm. um, but now um, I'm with young women who are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. <laughs> um, I never wanted to teach high school in my life, and I'm basically doing that now. Yeah. Um, both community college experiences, but really different really different yeah um, I was same really, content yeah early childhood stuff the same classes the same syllabi but uh, I have to teach them in very different ways because each of those it's just interesting as a, a student of human development sure. um, each of those groups the the older women and these very young women um, the people who have experience working with young children and the ones who are thinking about doing it just uh, I have to really tailor the experience very differently for them but yeah. sorry you started to say something no i just i was really surprised because that's what what i was expecting because i i went back at 40 to get my associate's degree because i had been essentially pushed out of the field for not having a degree despite having done the work pretty yep. well for 20 years before that yep. um and you know having had positions where I trained other adults and I'd had a couple publications at that point. But um, so anyway, I went back uh, at 40 and got my associate's degree at the college where I'm teaching now. Yes, because um, by the way, in case your audience doesn't know, <laughs> let me man interrupt you. Sure. Um, you just got your master's degree. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> thank you. It is That's so crazy. Awesome. And I have been so obnoxious about it, but I am really proud and excited and sure didn't think I'd ever be here. Yeah, you should be. You've so earned it. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but, but what I expected going into this class that I'm teaching, that I taught this semester, um, was mostly um, later 20s, 30s, 40s women mm. who were in the field doing the work, um, right. which is what excited me really about um, the, the community college setting. Um, so we would have, you know, a current context for them to reflect on and to plug in and to think critically with this new information. Um, and what I got was eight students and three of the, two of them, no, three of them are currently working with young children and oh. the rest of them weren't and never have. And a couple of them were, you know, pretty young, seven or 18, 19, probably. So it was a mix, um, that I wasn't expecting, but, uh, uh, I think it was, it was it was a good experience. So yeah. Um, so can we do the, jump into the quote here and start 
start ripping it apart. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so this is from an article um, that was published in Exchange called Stepping into a New Space, a New Role. And it's a conversation between Margie Carter and Nadia Taylor. And so what I'm about to read is something that Nadia shared as her part of the conversation. And she said, in addition, I don't want to leave my students feeling unprepared for the classrooms they will enter, even if those classrooms don't align with my vision for early childhood education. The reality is many teachers don't have the option to hold out until they can work in the best programs. Their choices are constrained by financial realities and their need for job security. And sadly, there are not that many programs that practice the sort of inquiry-driven, responsive, joyfully collaborative teaching and learning that I want for children and their teachers. Uh-huh. Which packs a lot. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot in there. But that was what to, to break it down into a really small starting point for me. Um, that was that was one thing that I was worried about going in. That I thought about every you know every time I prepped for a class session or reflected on a conversation during class um, was that how do I how do I give them this vision knowing that I'm sending them into um, options that aren't probably practicing that vision. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, and and I, I don't know how to do it. Uh, I, I don't know if I do either. I, mm-hmm. You know, I, as a process versus product, mm-hmm. a process-oriented person, I'm just always in my process trying to reflect and, and, you know, continue to be intentional and improve each semester. So I don't know that there's a magic answer. Yeah, I found but, myself – oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, this topic is – um, one I've been pondering since the beginning, which, which is the question, is it my job to teach these folks uh, who are uh, there to earn an associate's degree? Um, and that's relevant, I think, to me, because if it was a bachelor's degree, I might have a different um, opinion on it. Mm-hmm. But if they're there to earn an associate's degree, and I have an understanding, uh, and it's different in the sta- by state, by the way, of what an associate's degree allows someone to do. In, right. For example, Missouri versus Connecticut, the two places I've taught community college. Uh-huh. But if that's my goal is to prepare them for whatever those jobs are that, uh, that an associate's degree allows for in that state, then is my job to teach them best practices or to, you know, the rest of my colleagues at the community college see it as a trade school mm-hmm. and they're, their role is to teach people the skills they need to jump straight into their jobs. Mm-hmm. But as you say, and as this quote says, um, if that's my goal, skill building, um, to do the jobs that actually exist out there, that's very different than an understanding of what are best practices for young mm-hmm. children and what young children and teachers need to thrive. Yeah. And I, I would go back and forth with that. Um, that sort of thinking because I feel like what I see in a lot of uh, childcare programs is um, just it could so easily be learned in a week on the job, you know, like following the schedule and right. getting all your activities from Pinterest and yep. um, the steps for hand washing, the steps for hand washing. Right. So, what I, what I tried to do a lot of times was um, start with the best practice information or just the general child development. You know, here's what we know about how children develop and learn. And then I would try to make some concrete connections to how that might look in a classroom. 
but I was all, I also tried to be really honest and say, you know, you may go into, and even as they went and did their assigned observations, you're going to see things that maybe don't match what we're talking about here together this week. Right. So, so then your job becomes, how can I make what I know is best or right or in line with how they learn fit into the system that I'm in? And, and yep. then there were times when I was like, whoa, maybe that's way too overwhelming. But, but I don't want to discredit the intelligence and the, the passion and the ability of the people who are in the classroom with me. Right. I don't right. want to assume that they're not good enough or smart enough to make those connections <laughs> given the information. Well, and they definitely are. I mean, you have to start with the assumption that they are that yeah. intelligent and intuitive and uh, uh, perceptive. Yeah. Uh, um, because the, they'll be that way out in their future jobs, mm-hmm. uh, but not, gosh, there's so much to unpack here. Yeah. Because the other thing about the the kind of folks that we teach, I don't know if this is true for you, but in the places I've taught, is there's that, I don't mean to make a broad generalization about all of these folks because they're mm-hmm. diverse, but um, <laughs> generally speaking, they're so disempowered mm-hmm. and haven't found their own voices, whether they're a young woman of 18 or an older woman of 65, um, they don't know that their voice matters. Mm -hmm. And so um, even though they have the, you were talking about their perceptiveness of what they'll see when they're out there, they've got that, but um, they don't know that they can speak up um, sort of against it or Uh help others learn that there's a better way. And so there's this whole other there's this whole other agenda of empowerment that I sort of infuse throughout my teaching that has nothing to do with the course objectives, which is getting them to um, use their voices and speak up and say, because a lot of times they'll say something in class and it'll start or end with, oh, but I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, no, you do know. Yeah. Um, and that's good. Actually, you said it really well. So that's exactly how you need to say it to your future boss, Mm -hmm. to the parents of your future children or your current children that you're, um, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in charge of. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of it is helping them to be that child advocate. Yeah. So the more opportunities we can give them when they're with us in class or even because my class was a hybrid, so half of their stuff was online and discussion boards and things, the more opportunity we can give them to do the talking in class with each other or with us, I think that gives them really good practice for that kind of articulation they're going to need later, rather than just lecturing at them um, and making sure we power through the content of the syllabus. I felt like I needed to give them as many chances as I could to talk through or to practice saying their ideas or to hear other ideas and and have to respond. Um, And I, I felt like that not only did it meet the needs of diverse adult learners, um, it gave them sort of the skill that I think I need to be building with them more than the skill of how to set up a classroom design. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tall order. I think we need to give them both. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I use a flipped classroom approach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my semester starts out uh, and I tell them, so here's the deal. We have no tests, no quizzes. There are no exams. Um, but there's a lot of work, so you mm-hmm. do need to get ready for it. And let's talk about how to stay organized uh, yeah. so that you don't fall behind. Yeah. Um, because you're going to be doing a lot of reading and reflecting outside of class. Because when you come to class, it's all discussion. Um, so for the very reasons 
that you just so perfectly mm -hmm. stated. Our class times are, there's games and singing and, you know, investigations and role plays, but also lots of discussions. Mm -hmm. So all that other stuff, there really are very few lectures. Right. Um, they do that taking in of information outside of class. Um, and that gives them lots of time to either use their voice or at the very least hear one of their peers, hear, hear what it sounds like when one of their peers uses their voice and can state, you know, very eloquently what young children and families need. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I, I ended up doing maybe my first two and it was only eight class sessions, but the first two, I really did just do a lot more lecturing than I had planned Right. because they were not quite comfortable or trusting. I, I feel like they didn't, we didn't have the trust yet yep. for them to really feel like it was okay to spend a class period doing most of the talking themselves um, and were conditioned in that way. That's the way most of their high school educations were probably. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, you know, if they're adults who are in the field, a lot of the trainings that they've been to um, at conferences or whatever are probably more, of the person in the front of the room talking. So there right. was some unlearning that needed to happen and some trust that we needed to develop. But I felt like once we had done that, um, even though it took two whole class periods and I sort of lamented the loss of that time, um, I felt like it was so rich then afterwards, even with these folks who had never thought about some of these things before. Right. Um, that I, I felt... I felt pretty okay about having spent those two class periods, maybe not doing things the way I had intended. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I agree a hundred percent on, um, you know, I know, I know too many faculty members who think their job is to come in and lecture and while the other people just sit there and take notes and mm -hmm. then get tested on it. Mm -hmm. But if my goal is to help people find their voice, find their voices, um, then that whole trust building piece, uh, this is a safe space for you to say whatever you think and there are no wrong answers. And the time that it takes to establish that mm -hmm. is, it, it's part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a integral part of the semester yeah. long piece. You know what it brings up for me is, P, is old Piaget who uh -huh. says learning is discovery, right? And I often say to people, you know, here's the, the challenge with that is that you may know that, but you have a boss or parents or standards that say, no, they need to know this in September and they need to know this in October. And, yeah. and I mean, the little ones need to know this in November. But if you believe that learning is discovery, then you set up these open-ended materials and spaces and you trust that if they didn't notice it in September, they'll notice it in March. Mm -hmm. They'll notice it in April. And you take that leap of faith and, and they do. Mm -hmm. But you have to give them that time in the beginning to explore and get comfortable. Um, so it's the same to me. It's kind of this. It's a very similar um, pedagogy. Yeah. Uh, but to how I facilitate three-year-olds and how I facilitate grown-ups. Right, which is what learning. we want, right? If we want if we want them to teach in a certain way with children, then we need to give them experiences learning that way themselves, so that maybe they start to accept. Um, that it's a valid way of learning. This constructivist idea is is valid uh, mm -hmm. that you can take where you already are 
and unpack that a little bit and then add a couple new things to it and try out how that fits with what you've already experienced and known. Um, and then I think that they're going to be much more open to allowing and trusting children to, to construct their own learning. Yeah. Um, which I, I just think is an amazing opportunity for, for us to have, to be part of that. Um, we call it trickle down constructivism. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I'll tinker that. I'll get a better name. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, technically it's called social constructivism. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sure. Fine. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this this podcast started because you and I had been chatting some time ago about um, a book called Growing Teachers by yeah. Elizabeth Jones, um, who had been my thesis chair. And she had basically said in that book um, that when working with, that's this was a book about social constructivism, mm -hmm. that when working with early childhood professionals, what you do should be a metaphor for what they do with young children. Mm -hmm. And not only that, you should help them notice that what you're doing is a metaphor. Right. So a lot of my cl community college classes happen on that meta level of, okay, now, so we just sang a song. What did that feel like to you? Um, you know, why, what do you think the purpose was? Let's talk about the article you just read about the neurolog the, the neurological impacts of music. Um, why do you think I have uh, the tables and chairs in a big circle um, mm -hmm. instead of everyone facing front? What does that, how are the power dynamics different in the way that I've set up this space? Mm -hmm. And um, what's the metaphor for a space you would set up for three-year-olds and a circle time, how you would manage a circle time or mm -hmm. facilitate a circle time. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that happens in the community college experience. Mm -hmm. I, Sorry, I was just imagining myself in your classroom. <laughs> that would have been so fun. So, I mean, I, I say that I, I went back and, and started and did my associates at 40, and now at 49, I finished my master's. But it's been completely online except for one class for me. So I haven't had any of that in-classroom experience myself, really. Um, and I, you know, online college courses can be a whole other episode. But, yes. um, yeah. So, so that was another challenge for me, for me was thinking about um, the, the luxury of being in the same room with other learners and just counting myself as one of the learners um, with a different responsibility. Um, so that, that's really interesting to, to think about how, you know, we talk all the time about how room arrangement can affect the messages children receive um, and the things they're able to do and how we feel about ourselves as, as teachers of young children. And then, you know, we don't always translate that to adults because adults have been socialized to politely sit in groups and listen to the guy in the front of the room. Right, right. And to sort of tie it back to what we were saying earlier, if my goal is to help them find their voice and um, hear their, you know, bear witness to their peers finding their voices mm -hmm. and learn from them, um, I have to arrange my room in a way that they can all see each other. They can mm -hmm. get to know each other, interact with each other. And it's not all about everybody looking at me. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's also this whole other layer of me being a white male, um, oh. in a room full of 
primarily African-American females. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just creepy kind of this whole like, <laughs> everybody look at me and write down what I say because I have all the answers. And <laughs> you live in a society where people who look like me, you know, um, think they have all the answers. Think they have all the answers. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole other layer called education as a political act. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just by rearranging the room into a circle and letting them all speak to each other, some would say is a political act mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of empowerment. Right. You're teaching to transgress. Boom. Bell, as hook. bell hooks would say. <laughs> Uh, I just added a new Bell Hooks book to my pile, and I've got that growing teacher's book that I want to get back to. And uh, oh my gosh, I have a feeling your home is such a fire hazard. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> and as I sit here now, I'm looking at this bookshelf that's about to collapse under the weight oh my and the God. expectations I've placed on it. Um, so I hope that doesn't happen while we're recording. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but I but should I, be recording this because it would make a great YouTube video if it did happen. <laughs> Yeah, everybody wants to see the nerd yes. die under an avalanche of her books. It would be an appropriate way to go. It sure would. For you. It sure would. Well, now that you've planted that, I'll just be <laughs> dreaming about that for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so, so is there anything, like, how do we tie, how do we wind this one up? Um, I'm, I'm trying to even make connections. I mean, I think all, everything we've talked about could also be applied to a center director who's responsible for providing professional development to a staff or someone yeah. who likes, you know, is doing workshops at a conference. Absolutely. Um, uh, I used, you know, a f- one of my previous positions was that I was the director of education and training for an agency that had four centers. And so that was a big piece of my job and it was um, uh, a good sort of playground for me. <laughs> Yeah, to to try out some new some new ways of thinking about how we all learn and what's really important when we're, you know, because the other thing is that that's really precious time when we can all be together as adults and and reflect on and think about and talk about what we're doing with young children. Um, it's hard to carve out that time. It's easier yes. when you're a college student and it's assigned and that's what you do. Um, but w- when you're in like a center or a setting like that, it's hard to find that time. Right. So we, we need to really make sure that we're being, I guess, good, good caretakers of that time when we're all together. Well, you know, I think one of the most important things to do is to say the words that you just said out loud at the beginning of the semester to your class. Um, this is a sacred time when we mm-hmm. come together as a room full of adults learning with each other. Mm-hmm. And so we need to hold it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for my students back in Ferguson who were older women, um, I taught a lot of evening classes and they had been working since five thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. They were exhausted. Yeah. Now I teach a lot of very young people and the challenge is getting them off their cell phones. Yeah, for sure. God. <laughs> but either way, by sending this message of this time has the possibility of being valuable for you mm-hmm. and, um, helping, um, you know, um, you know, I think, I think most of what I do in early childhood professional development is try to help people reconnect with why they got in the field with their love for young children. Absolutely. And so when I couch it in that way and say, look, you, I know you love these kids and you want to do the best you can by them. So you have an opportunity 
to learn more about how to be, how to um, make their, how to help them thrive even more. Um, so that's your reason now for turning off your cell phone, for finding some energy and drinking some coffee, whatever it is your challenges that's keeping you from being present. Mm -hmm. Because there's that whole other piece about being present yeah. around young children who are always living in the present moment. Right. Um, but I have to help remind them of their, of their reason for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so you, if it's, if it's the love for your kids, even if you don't have your own, I don't necessarily say these words out loud, but even <laughs> if you haven't found your own voice yet uh -huh. um, and you don't, and you don't know that you're of value, um, I know that you care about those kids. So the reason to be present in this class and to participate and contribute is because you're going to do an even better job by those kids. Mm -hmm. um, and that's often a place to start. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Yep. Maybe that's a place for us to end. I think that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing my job and wrapping up the conversation. <laughs> do I get paid? Um, do I get paid? <laughs> no, nobody gets oh. paid on the, in this situation. We should have discussed this beforehand. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. Um, there was so much that you mentioned as a contract <laughs> item that comes up after the fact, I guess. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for being on another episode. I, I do really want to get into some more of these kinds of topics and maybe yes, look at let's. the growing teacher's book and, and dig into that a little bit too. So. Sure. Awesome. Thank you, Richard. Take care, Heather. All right. You too. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you'll come back again for another episode. Goodbye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.